Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Merry Christmas, everybody. How was Christmas? We have a good Christmas. And uh, Merry Christmas from my family and my twins are 20 months old now. So we'll show a picture here. And I have to tell you a story. Uh, our fireplace at home has been off limits for a while because Captain Busy Fingers here is, uh, that's no bueno. So we uh, lashed it shut with a zip tie and we weren't able to run the fireplace at Christmas time, which is too bad because it's been pretty dang cold uh, where I live the past few weeks. But there's this thing on TV called the Fireplace Channel. You all have the Fireplace Channel? So we run that thing a lot during Christmas time. And uh, you know, we're not big TV people with our kids. We don't really want them to get into that too, too young. But we've been running it and playing Christmas music and this kind of thing. So my son and daughter are really into cleaning right now. They like to clean. They take little rags or you give them a wipe and they'll go, you know, they think they're helping. They're not helping. But uh, the other day I gave them each a wipe and I said, why don't you go uh, wipe down the slide? Oh, wipe down the chair. And I said, why don't you go wipe down the front of the fireplace? And they will stopped and looked up at the TV. And I thought, oh man, there's some reprogramming that needs to be done here because my kids think that fire comes from the television set instead of from the fireplace. But... <laughs> Maybe that has suddenly made the fireplace safe. I'm not really sure. Now, I want to show you a video of my kids encountering the Christmas tree for the first time this year. Watch this and listen. Last year was their first Christmas, but they didn't get it. But here they come down the stairs one morning. So my son goes on to say lights, lights, lights about 700 times in the next two minutes. But uh, of course, our hope for them as parents is that one day they'll see beyond the lights toward the true meaning of what the light is calling them towards, right? And, and that's how Christmas can work in our culture. Because you probably know some people who don't really care for God. They're not into God, but they love Christmas. Am I right? And that's why we do Christmas the way that we do around here, with events like, uh, like Carols by Candlelight or the Women's Christmas Dessert, or look at this place. I mean, it's all decked out for Christmas time in the hopes that people might be drawn near by the beauty, by the lights, by the music, by the atmosphere, but not stop there, go deeper. So we want to pray together right now for that person who you know who's not a big fan of God, but they're a fan of Christmas, that maybe Christmas will have them that effect on them as we head into 2020 of drawing them deeper to a meaningful place with God. Will you pray with me? Lord, we want to think of that person, that significant person in our life who does not know you, has not committed their life to you, but they love the Christmas holiday. We thank you for all the culture that surrounds that. We pray that everything they encountered this year that they love would be a seed in their heart and their soul that grows to great things in this coming year. You care for them, you know them, and you created them, and you're calling to them even this morning, Lord, not to just glance at the star like the wise men could have and said, oh, pretty star, but to follow that star all the way to the manger and to bow down and worship. That's our prayer in this post-Christmas season. We love you, Lord. Bless us as we open your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So here we are at the end of 2019. And the new year is a time when we often take stock and we reassess. Uh, how am I spending my time? What am I investing myself in? Am I surrounding my pe- myself by the right people, the right influences? Am I pouring myself into the right causes? Am I in the right job? You may have found yourself asking that from time to time. And the New Year is, is kind of a time when we assess those things. And the thing about it is everything in this world takes a chunk of your time. And if you're anything like me, your time is pretty limited, pretty stretched. So any new offer that comes along, if I'm going to accept that, I've got to say goodbye to something else in my life. Now, right now in my uh, email, I have 722 unread uh, in my Gmail account because who can just keep up with that stuff anymore? I mean, it's just impossible. Although a guy after the first service came up to me and he said 363,000 in his Gmail. (laughs) He just doesn't even bother anymore. I've got about 15 shows in my queue on uh, Amazon Prime that I've been waiting to watch for some time. Probably will never get to those. About 25 series on Netflix that I've saved into my list. And if somehow I was able to get through all of that, everything I possibly wanted to see, there's billions of people out there on Facebook and Instagram who I could friend or follow and get to know. I mean, the truth is, you're going to hit the end of 2020, and I can guarantee you, none of you are going to be bored. There's plenty of entertainment and diversion and distraction out there to keep you busy. But the question is, as you stand in this spot one year from now, looking back at the year that was 2020, will you be able to say that you spent your time in significant ways? And will you be satisfied? Because everybody wants your time. Everything wants your time. And so you know, I was thinking if somebody came to me and said, um, hey, I got a great side business that you should start. Maybe you could uh, you know, paint the interior of houses, or you, uh, you should sell steak knives, or sell magazine subscriptions door-to-door, whatever it is. How would I decide if that's really a good fit for my life? And I think I would weigh it against two things. Number one, is there really a demand for what it is that I'm getting into? And number two, is the cost that I'm going to pay in terms of my time and my resources, am I going to recoup that and more in benefits on the other side? Now, apply those two questions to the kingdom of God. Is there still a demand out there in culture for what God has to offer? And if we invest ourselves in kingdom work, is it really going to be worth the investment? I think there's a lot of reasons to be negative or gloomy about the place of the church in America right now. There's a lot of things that we can look at that just get us discouraged and say, well, maybe our best days are behind us. And and to believe that the American church is actually a lost cause. So what I want to do this week and next, this is a two-week series, a mini-series, if you will. What I'm going to do this, this week and next is address that very issue of the investment of time. And this week, today, I simply want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that while it may seem like the culture is pushing Christianity out to the margins where it doesn't matter, there is plenty to be excited about in the kingdom of God. God's team is still a winning team. That's what I want you to take away today. And then next week, we'll look at how do I engage personally in the direction that the kingdom is moving. So how can I have optimism in the face of a culture that just seems so dismissive of Christianity, so antagonistic towards people of belief? How can I be optimistic? And I think the answer lies in the nature of what God and only God can do. 
which we find depicted in the book of 1 Peter. If you've got your Bible, you can turn there. Near the end of the New Testament are the letters, uh, two of them from Peter, and 1 Peter, we're going to be in chapter 2 this morning. I think it gives us a glimpse into the nature of what God has done and continues to do, and the significant role that he has for you and I in what he's up to. So we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. It says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And this is why the kingdom of God will always triumph, always, because God has the power to call people out of darkness and into his wonderful light. As verse 10 goes on to say, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So I want to make six observations about this business of God calling people out of the darkness and into his light. Number one, it comes from God and is completely of God. It is a miraculous work of God. We don't come out of the darkness and into the light. We don't be not a people and become a people because we're clever, because we're cute, because we're intelligent, because we have a lot of money, because we've got advanced degrees. It's none of those things. It's because God, out of his loving nature, said, you belong to me, and you're walking in darkness, but I've got a better plan for you here in the light. So God and only God can cause this to happen. Number two, it happens in an instant. Jesus says in the book of John, when somebody believes, they have crossed over from death into life but it also happens as part of a process. So the longer and the more closely we walk with God, the more he's able to point out those areas of darkness that remain in our life and say, let me shine my light on that now. Let's grow you in this area. So it's instant. It's a process. Number four, it has impact on people personally and individually. God changes lives. He does. Maybe God has changed your life and you've got a great story to tell. But it not only changes you individually, it changes the person who's sitting down the row from you and the person in the back of the room and someone in the chapel this morning and out in the tent. And so one by one by one, collectively and broadly, God is calling people out of the darkness into the light and it's building something beautiful, as we'll see, that was alluded to in 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 5. And number six, it is ongoing and relentless. And you need to know that. God has not given up in his pursuit of you. He still pursues you today. He still wants you next week, 
He's still going to want you, and God never, ever gives up. It's the story of redemption and renewal that's repeated all throughout Scripture, and it often uses that metaphor of light and darkness. So in the book of Isaiah, you may know, it says the people who are walking in darkness have seen a great light. In John chapter 1, John says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Think about the nature of a light that the darkness can never overcome. That means it's not a light that's going to flare for a while brightly and then burn out. It's not a light that runs on batteries that needs to be recharged. It's an eternal light. And if you've ever been in a truly dark place, a totally dark place, you know how scary that is. It's actually really unnerving. But you light the smallest light, little flashlight, little candle, little light off of your phone, and all of a sudden you can see where you're going and it doesn't threaten you anymore. And then in the book of Revelation, it depicts the final triumph of Jesus where evil is defeated, the new heaven, the new earth are created, God brings down the new Jerusalem from heaven and I just want to read the word pictures that it paints here from the end of the book of Revelation. Just listen. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. What a great picture. That's the ultimate triumph of Jesus in the kingdom of God. And the fact that you and I will see God's face is significant for this reason, because in the Old Testament, Judaism, it was believed if you saw God's face, you would die. That's why in the book of Isaiah, when he's called as a prophet, he says, whoa, is me, I'm ruined. I'm, I'm dead, I saw God's face. And God says, no, I'm going to forgive your sin so that you can go on this special mission that I have for you. Well, Revelation tells us that when the new Jerusalem comes, there's no more separation between God's place and our place. The Lord dwells with us. And there's no more darkness, no more curse, and we will reign with him forever and ever. And we'll see his face as you visit a friend, as you visit a relative. You ever talk to somebody and they don't look at you? They're distracted. They're looking to the side and you feel like you're talking to the side of their face? Well, you will have God's full attention. You'll have God's devoted heart on you at the end of time. You say, well, that sounds good. When's that coming? And what about in the meantime? We're in 2019. We're in the real world here, and it's full of darkness. There's darkness here in the world that we live right now. So, so what do we do with that? And the answer is the church. The church. The church that Jesus instituted in that scene in the book of Matthew where he's visiting with Peter, and, and, and he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, I believe you're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says right on, Peter, you're a rock, and on this rock I will build my church, catch this, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So in ancient times, when there was a lot of war and you had settlements constantly attacking each other, when you saw the invading army coming, you closed the gates to your city, and you hoped that the gates and the walls were strong enough to keep that force out until you could repel them. If it wasn't strong enough, then 
boom, they'd storm over your gates and they'd take your settlement. Well, here Jesus is saying the church is going to be so strong, so strong because it's fueled by the power of God that even the gates of Hades, which wants to keep everybody who's trapped in darkness, wants to keep them trapped inside, even the gates of Hades will not be strong enough to withstand the power of the force of the church of God on earth. How about that? And so that brings us back to 1 Peter chapter 2. The result of all of this is the living stone, who is Jesus, who was rejected by humans but chosen by God. And you also, if you're a believer, are a living stone. And you're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Note the similarities here and in verse 9. It says, Jesus was chosen by God. Verse 9 says, you are a chosen people. It says, Jesus was rejected by humans, but precious to God. Verse 9 says, you are God's special possession. Jesus was dead, fully dead, and God made him living. And you and I will die, but we can be made alive. Don't miss the gravity of dead things and that Jesus was a dead thing because in the Jewish ritual law, it made you unclean to come near or touch something that was dead. Certainly they honored the human body, but to touch a dead thing made you defiled and it's a dead thing that God used to raise back up to life and crown him as the king of the universe. And so as God did to Jesus, God will do to the followers of Jesus That one day, though you may die in your body, God will raise you up, and with Jesus as the cornerstone, you're added to that wall of strength called the church. What does this mean for you? It means that the triumph of the kingdom of God, the the, the fact that ultimately God wins, means there's hope for you personally. And it also means that there's hope for us together and what we might accomplish together in this world that seems to care nothing about God. There's hope when everything around us says, ah, religion's not worth it anymore. There's hope when we look at the rising number of people who just have absolutely no interest in the things of God, no interest in Christianity, might be hostile towards Christianity. There's hope when we look around and we just think, ah, everything is getting worse. And the reason there's hope is because people want answers. And God is in the heart of those answers. I want to share with you three things that I read recently that give me hope and optimism that the church has such an important role to play. Number one was an article about something called Secular Church. Have you heard of Secular Church? Secular churches started in 2013 over in Britain and then they spread across uh, the ocean. And Secular Church was basically church on Sunday mornings, a church gathering for people who want nothing to do with God. So They get together and they greet each other and they fellowship and they sing songs together and they hear a motivational message and there's character education for their kids and then they eat donuts and they go home. And secular church took off. There was an appeal in that to people. And it built for a while, but now since 2014, that was the high watermark, 2014 to now, more than half of the congregations that were in existence in 2014 have closed. 
And I don't say this because I'm dancing on the grave of secular church. Sociologists who studied this found this was the reason. This was the reason it didn't last. This was the reason it didn't grow because it was not pointing people towards something transcendent. Wow. So when it comes to religious community, when it comes to church, God still matters. He's of paramount importance. Number two, the second thing that I read was an article called Give Thanks for the Humanitarian Habits of Religious People. I want to read to you a couple excerpts from that. It says, 45% of Americans who go to church services weekly and pray daily have done volunteer work during the previous week. Among other Americans who don't attend church pray, 28% have volunteered. Philanthropic studies show that religious Americans give away two to four times as much of their income every year versus those who have no religious affiliation. Religious Americans adopt children at two and a half times the overall national rate. They host foster kids three years longer than other families, and they play a particularly large role in adopting and fostering hard-to-place kids. The bulk of volunteers who are mentoring prisoners and their families are Christians. Religious hospitals care for one out of every five U.S. hospital patients. I don't cite all these things because I'm patting us on the back. I'm trying to make the point, faith communities matter. Faith communities are making a huge impact in the United States and around the globe, going places and dealing with people that no one else is dealing with. Be encouraged by that. The third thing that I read was an article, it's the cover story in the Atlantic Magazine this month, called What It Means to Be a Man. Boys need a better answer than the one that we're giving them today. And this woman went out and she interviewed all these boys ages 16 to 23, and she asked them to describe what messages are you receiving about masculinity and what it means to grow up to be a man. And then she publishes some of the uh, feedback here in this article. So I'm going to read from the end of the article. She's interviewing a boy that she calls Cole, not his real name. And he's talking about how challenging it is the way that guys talk about girls and their bodies and what it might take to stand up against that. And Cole says to go up against that, to convince people that we don't need to put others down to lift ourselves up, I don't know. I would need to be some kind of Superman. Cole fell silent. Maybe the best I can do is just be a decent guy, he continued. The best I can do is lead by example. He paused again, furrowed his brow, and then added, I really hope that'll make a difference. When people come up against the limits of themselves, suddenly God and his answers become really, really relevant. So that's the opportunity for us in our culture. See, everything that looks dark, everything that looks lost or desperate is actually an opportunity for God to step in because God is in all the answers because God created all things and all things belong to him and need to be reconciled to him. When I was running the idea for this series past Joel Parker, who preached last weekend, I said, Joel, you know, in 20 or 30 years, do you think the church will still be relevant? And he didn't even hesitate. He said, absolutely. He said, the gospel is the only relevant thing out there. Everything else is irrelevant. He said, if you put all your chips into culture in one year, your clothes are going to be out of style, and on and on. He said, it's so obvious the gospel has stood the test of time. So you know what? Let trends be trends. The truth is, when God calls people out of the darkness, he says, you're, 
you're living there, but I've got a better plan for you to live right here. Just embrace my love and embrace my light. When God calls and people say yes, the kingdom of God advances. 7,000 people per day say yes to Jesus around the globe. Did you know that? 7,000 people per day. And the church is part of that movement. And my question this morning is simply, where do you fit in that equation? Where 7,000 people globally are saying, yes, I want to leave the darkness, I want to come into God's light. Where do you fit in that equation? Christmas is a great time to surrender the life that you've been living to God and say, I want a new way. Refresh me, God. It's also a great time to get fueled, just like the shepherds were fueled by what they saw at the manger. And then the Bible says they went out and they told everybody what they'd seen and heard to be fueled to really live out 1 Peter 2.9, that you may declare the glory of the, of the one who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is not a time for despair. It's not. God's got an important role for the church to play. And you're here today. You didn't have to be here. There's hundreds of other options out there. It's cold this morning. You could have stayed under the covers. You could have done all kinds of things, but you're here. And what's the purpose of us being here? It's to live out our calling as the living stones. God's power is not dependent on the church. He can do anything. It's not limited or capped by the church, but God's power is amplified by the church. And that's the role that we're called to. Amplified. Like when I decorate my house for Christmas and I put lights on the outside, that's not for me. I don't know anybody who decorates their house with Christmas lights and then sits out there for hours and just, wow, I did an amazing job. You don't do that for you. You do that for other people who drive by to give them joy. And... My hope is not just that I'll decorate my house, but that my neighbor will go, oh, maybe I should get some lights up on my house. And then his neighbor, and then her neighbor. And pretty soon, all up the street, you've got winter wonderland going on, bringing great joy to other people. Well, the same thing is true of the church. It's great to have an individual salvation rescue story. And some of you might have a great story of when God called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. But how great would it be if you could tell that story and then hear five other stories from people here this morning? Would that excite you? Would that fuel you and encourage you for where God is going? Yeah, absolutely. So we need to tell those stories and we need to participate in the triumph of the kingdom of God by leaning into this identity and this purpose that he has for us, which is outlined in 1 Peter 2.9, that we're a chosen people. Of all the people God created in the world, in the Old Testament, he chose little Israel to be the nation that glorifies him. And then in the New Testament, there's a change because the gospel goes out to the Gentiles. And so now all who call Jesus their savior are a chosen people of God, chosen for a specific purpose. We're a royal priesthood. Priests have special access to God. As a believer, you've got direct access to the throne of God. What are you doing with that influence? What power that gives you? You're a holy nation, a group of people who are marked by their specialness or their otherness. And next week we'll talk about the character of holiness in in Christian uh, life and how that works. And you're God's special possession. What do we do with special things that we own? We protect them. 
take good care of them. And as a believer, God's protection is on you because you're his special possession. And all so that you might declare the praises of him who calls people out of darkness into his wonderful light. Churches can easily become about other things than that. They can. And when that happens, God just uses other churches. He uses other people. But in 2020, let's get on that train. Let's be perfectly aligned with where the kingdom of God is heading because God's got a significant role for each of us to play. Next week, we'll look at how do I, as an individual, engage in where the kingdom of God is going. As the band comes out here uh, to lead us in one final song, you know, I grew up in a small town in North Dakota, and small towns, uh, everybody plays sports, whether you're good at it or not. So uh, everybody goes out for football because they need it to field a team. And some of the kids are good, and a lot of them are terrible. So a lot of them just end up standing on the sidelines, but hey, they're part of the football team. And uh, there's a point in some games where you might get to the start of the fourth quarter, midway through the fourth quarter, and if a team is just drastically behind, the coach does something to signal that he's throwing in the towel. Now, he doesn't forfeit. They don't walk off. They play out the rest of the game. But the thing that signals to you, oh, coach is saying game over, is he pulls the starters and he puts in the reserves. Give the freshmen a little playing time because why risk harming your quarterback? And, and at that point, a lot of the fans will get up and leave because that's the signal to them. This is a lost cause. Hey, we gave it our best shot, but we are going to lose this game. I think for too long, the church in America has been operating as if, well, we give it a good shot, but we're losing the game. And it's not time for the reserves. Time to keep the starters in, game on. Because when we play on God's team, that's a winning team. Be encouraged by that today. We're not losing. We're not. And so we've got to go forth boldly with the identity and the purpose that God has mapped out for us. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for your comfort and your presence and your encouragement and your assurance as we close out the year 2019. We pray that the voices that are speaking to us saying, ah, your faith's not worth it, just give it up. It's not worth it. We pray that those voices would be silenced or muted or dwarfed by the reality of your voice, which says you're a powerful God who created all things, There is nothing you can't handle. And you want to enlist us in the work that you're doing here on earth. What a privilege that is. To be a chosen people. A holy priesthood. A holy nation. A people who belong to you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving your church. We pray that we would be the most optimistic, hopeful souls in the universe because we know that you're the God of answers. You're the answer to everybody's problem. You're the light that shines in the darkness. And so we worship you that way, God, as we step over the threshold into 2020 this week. Pray that you'd excite us for the vision 
of what you're doing worldwide and use us powerfully in our own spheres of influence to just be the evidence of what God can do. We pray this this morning, Lord, and we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.